movie. Yeah. I, I have uh, AJ Sherman here on. He's a uh, great, like, I never know, like, really, I talked to you about it once. Like, do you consider yourself like a comedian or more of a musician? That's a good question. I I like doing musical comedy. Mm-hmm. I've always thought of myself as kind of a song. Um, but I think what I like to call myself more than anything is like a guitar comic. Mm-hmm. Only because I'm using the guitar to do the comedy. And that's like the main point of it. Like I, you know, uh, in competency, I've been playing since I'm 15 years old. So um, kind of when I started thinking about getting back out of performing again um one of the things i do was kind of take myself less seriously and, and open myself up and this was a really great fit yeah that's awesome like you know it's it's i just had uh, angela sharp on i don't know if you've met her but she's like a great no, of course. musical comic too and it's it's ironic that like i didn't plan that i was just like i saw that you had your your album out and whenever people that i like have a thing out i'm like oh i should get them on the podcast <laughs> to be like so much i appreciate you know. that it's called uh, uh concept right yeah you know for me um when we're city which was in uh, all of 2020 um i always made kind of home recordings to practice with you know one mm-hmm. of the things that's very different i think in my approach from you guys is i do practice my stuff on my own yeah and uh one of the things I really did to help me learn the lyrics and memorize stuff, which was always hard for me doing regular music, was um, make myself kind of practice tracks to play along to. Mm-hmm. And then for a long time, it was, do I want to put these out? Do I want to go into a studio? What I want to do? And, you know, it's all it's all a lot of stuff. But ultimately, you know, I made the decision. I just want, I just want to get the music out there. I want to get these songs. That I, most of the songs that are on the record are from the first two years I was, you know, really trying it out mm-hmm. and uh to me those songs are very very special because it was really the beginning of the whole process right and i really wanted to get them down onto some kind of media that was my dream from when i was a little kid but also to kind of just like get these songs out and done and over also because you know as, as funny as i think the songs i definitely stand behind my material you know, the comedy audience has changed. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, with the advent of uh, TikTok, which was not really as prominent as 2019 when I got yeah, started, yeah. Uh, everything is significantly shorter. So I think that, you know, these oh, like, yeah. two-minute, three-minute, two-minute, three-minute songs really don't work for me um, if I'm playing out unless I start with the longer song. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you start with a shorter song, I'm always finding that people are then set to that level of it. Uh, yeah, no problem. Yeah. So uh, you were saying like putting your stuff together is tougher because of TikTok being like making things so shorter, which makes sense. Like, you know, there's already so many like, <laughs> there always comes out with like new, like two minute, three minute songs on TikTok that are like popular. And it's like, okay, I wonder how people compete with that because people are just putting stuff out and... It seems well, like a great way to put stuff out and get, like, are you on TikTok at all? I am. I've been on TikTok for a while. I kind of niched myself down to a place that is a little bit uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was a younger person, I did uh, archaeology in school. Um, that was what I wanted, thought I wanted to do. Um, so I have a good background on it, and I always stayed kind of up on, you know, 
good articles and reading, and I had you know cool professors that I was they stayed in touch with. Mm-hmm. Long story short, I started doing archaeology jokes on TikTok, and it worked because you really have to find um, for TikTok. You really do have to find where you fit in in the scheme of the algorithm. Oh yeah, and for I sure. Felt, I always felt like I was like submitting you know, offerings to the great TikTok gods and just hoping that they would, you know, boost me. But there we also the reality of TikTok when you are, you know, really doing it is you must be doing it almost as a part-time job. Mm-hmm. And I just don't have the attention span and or the bandwidth to really be fully posting, you know, once, even twice a day. Oh, yeah, uh, I'm the same. Because I have, like, a thing where, like, I want to put out stuff that's good. Like, I can't just put out something... Because I've made that mistake before. You can't put out something that, like, doesn't have laughs in it. Because, like, that's, the, that's my thing is, like, my saving, like, grace of it, I guess, is, like, you know, I never get upset by, like, a mean comment or anything. Because I'm like, well, it killed in the room. So, like, this is just a bonus that I'm sharing it. But it is a thing of, like, you want to put out good content and you want to make sure that it's, like, worth it. That people see everything that you're doing. Oh, it's so hard, man. Yeah. You know, I... You know, I, I toiled with the idea of how many songs to that, you know, and then for a while I was on doing a live, like just a, a recording of my set as a demo. I thought mm-hmm. that, that could kind of work. Um, but the reality is, is that it's so hard to control. And it, uh, with the kind of, even the audio recording equipment I have now, which would sound pretty okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it just didn't feel like a culmination of like the work I put in. So I wanted to, you know, incorporate the songs kind of as I always heard them in my head, you know, Mm -hmm. listen to the record uh, out on Spotify and Apple and Amazon. You could literally play catch up by AJ Sherman and the song will come on. Also, uh, Dude, it was really catch up by AJ Sherman. And here's other music by AJ Sherman. That's cool. Um, thank you, Alexa. <laughs> uh, was uh, I really wanted to capture the way that the songs sounded in my head, you know, whether that was like through the crudest way possible. So, one thing I think is pretty cool is I used the uh, AI drummer on GarageBand to, mm-hmm. you, to record a lot of the songs. So, what that means is, you know, in the, in the GarageBand program. There is a uh, application that you can use where you can pick what kind of style of drummer you want, whether that's rock or hip hop or soul, R and B, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you will program in in more of a drag and drop kind of solution because I'm not drums are not my real strong suit. Mm-hmm. The different rhythms and different um, beats that you need for a verse or a chorus or a bridge or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I was able to kind of build on that, and that was a really useful thing because. I definitely wanted some of these songs to have drums or have a drum track, and it felt uh, really um, empty without them, mm. even if it's just me with the acoustic guitar. So it was really fun to um, kind of add the other instruments in, play my electric guitar, um, use a couple of synthesizers on the on the Empathy song, which was mm-hmm. always a dream of mine to have it kind of be chip tune, a little bit you know more uh, dancey and a little bit more uh, electronic sounding. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I, that's great, you know, to have to have that ability to do that. Like, I've tried to use uh, that, like, for certain things, like, to make the podcast sound better, and it just hasn't worked. So, uh, GarageBand is tough no, to use. 
for me. Yeah, it, it can be it can be complicated, and I think that a lot of you know I'm gonna get a lot of hate on it, but I don't really care. I'm like I'm happy to talk about it. Like you know, a lot of people will use other what they call a DAW, a digital audio workstation. Mm-hmm. They use Logic or they use Pro Tools or whatever, um, and they're all fine programs. I just find like for me that like the simple stuff that I'm looking to do now, the parameter changing and the like actual software that's included in the GarageBand stuff is so high level and user friendly mm-hmm. that I'm not really interested in, in working on the other programs at this point. Mm-hmm. And what's great is that in the future if I ever did want to go into the studio or like got picked up, you know, like right. you could take these songs and put them into other workstations and they could really make them sound totally different. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, one of the things I was looking at for a long time was like, can I go to a producer guy or a studio person and say like, hey man, just help me finish. I just want to finish. Right. right? Like, I don't want to be working on this anymore. I want these to be done. I want these to be out. And I just need somebody to, and you know, hold my hand as we finish these songs. And every time I went to go talk to one of these people, they were very much like, come on, and you're gonna want to re-record it. You're gonna want to be in the studio. You're gonna want to sit down and do it again. Right. And I'm like, dude, like I hear you, but like that just costs money, man. Like, right. and I think the the easy thing with a band getting into a studio is everybody splits the cost and you split the royalties and you know that you're doing a different thing when it's just you right um, it's a little bit different especially if you're going to be then incorporating other instruments on top of that so mm-hmm. yeah it, it's just all me it's not mastered you know it's pretty raw um but i stand by it you know there's a couple of mistakes on it i can hear <laughs> right uh, i'm not going to point them out to anybody but you know i'm i'm really proud of it and i think that you know, there are other songs on there you might have heard me play that I'm saving for a later date that, you know, will come out later on. And, you know, I want people to, I want people to listen to this one. You know, I right. think that the songs do stand on their own in this version. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you are listening to it, you can listen to it all the way through. You can listen to the songs individually, but you're, you can also listen to it all the way through. Oh, that's great. Uh, do you plan to ever perform it live or like in like a full like I guess show or like yeah I probably the logical next step progression right which is kind of why I wanted to call this a demo or an EP mm-hmm. um, as opposed to a comedy album yeah uh, only because I think your comedy album is supposed to have a live audience yeah so okay. I, yeah. I think that really that would be the next step for me and it's you know, it's not really cost prohibitive for me at this point to like kind of take on that undertaking. It's more finding a place to do that. And right. Also, and this is a big, this is a big thing. I think you would agree with. Uh, I have been home with my kid and recorded, and I joined another band. And I think that really to get to a point where I would ever want to do that again, I need to get back in the scene. I need to get back at the mics. And I have to get back and working around. And oh yeah. To me, is definitely you know the priority number one of saying like okay like this is i can now go out and promote it it was never designed to be this big huge amazing thing where one release party and all that kind of stuff and and also i'm not going to put it on you know other uh more sharing services like a band camp where i could probably a little bit more money from people buying a record Mm -hmm. um I just don't think that people are going to buy it. <laughs> and I think that people want the ease of streaming. And until this thing a little bit more substantial, where I put in more work, you know, I don't think that it's necessary to kind of take that next step. I'm kind of happy. What, mm-hmm. What's going to come next and is actually pretty cool 
and I submitted all the lyrics to the uh, songs, or, or at least the longer song that they would allow me to submit the lyrics for. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to be able to be used on like TikToks, Instagrams, and different. And I'm excited to see. Oh, that's um, cool. Kind of all the cool plug-in stuff that you get. I did it through CD Baby. If anybody's interested, mm-hmm. uh, there are a lot of different you know music distribution websites you can use. One of the more popular ones is called uh, DistroKid. Um, something that DistroKid really doesn't do is it doesn't protect you or get you set up for the royalties and publishing rights uh-huh. of your music. And if I like to see the all-inclusive approach and that you really just pay one price, one fee, one time. Mm-hmm. You get all your infrastructure set up to put out more releases into the future. And then your music is just up. DistroKid is a subscription service. Right. So once your year is up, you have to pay for it again to stay online. And to me, that just seemed like a lot of money. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. So, uh, uh, you're, you're saying that your your stuff will be on, uh, like, Instagram? Like, yeah, so, for that? so that's one of the things that was very, um, that's very important to me. And also that I'm going to be very pushing very hard on social media. So, I apologize to you and the rest of the news. Um, no, that, that's a good thing because hard this summer, so. because what I do for the podcast actually is I ask people afterwards uh, to choose a song to put on Facebook and Instagram, you know, whatever they feel suits them. So I can use one of your songs or anything that you picked. And no, no, that would be that would be awesome. Yes. Yeah. Uh, on, on Instagram and Facebook, you can use my whole song. You can chop up any part of the song. Yeah. For whatever reason, on TikTok, they picked weird segments of my songs to use. Oh, yeah, they I do that. I was supposed to go and claim them myself, but uh, I was already going to use the first minute. But no, it's all these different weird clippies that they use. Mm. Um, yeah. And yeah. But I love doing that because it, I always feel like... Well, you know, a lot of people listen to music, but I feel like you can identify with a song and like feel like it describes who you were... Something so it's like that really works well. So when a, it's even easier when someone when I've had on musicians, it's like okay, I can use one of their songs. <laughs> no, for sure. And it's then great. I guess the song I would want you to use would probably be nostalgia because it was the one I was like excited to talk to you about the most. Because All right. I know that you love pop punk. Oh yeah. And I also love pop punk, and I grew up, you know, really playing and getting all my stuff together listening and playing to pop bands so right you know uh that song you know is about it, it's really about the that like it's really been weaponized especially millennials and um gen z to kind of you know look back on the 90s as this really beautiful you know positive amazing era right and you know while at the same time you know repurposing Star Wars and repurposing all the stuff that we love. Right. And, you know, so it was really kind of being a little bit angry, you know, at all this stuff that we love and we really, you know, cherish so much right. as being so commodified. Yeah, for and, sure. And packaged and resold to us. One of the, the, the one of the stories that always inspired that song that I love to t- tell on a podcast is like, if you ever watch the Fight Club documentary, the Fight, not the, the Fight Club uh, DVD with the DVD commentary, mm-hmm. there's one with uh, Fincher, Norton, and Brad Pitt, and they're talking about the movie. Uh-oh. And it, there's specifically the scene where uh, they're smashing in, you can probably find it on TikTok too, yeah. where they're smashing in the, uh, the VW Beatles. Oh, yeah. And, 
and their t- and the commentary they kind of mentioned the same idea where like here's this VWB boomer uh, environmentalism, but also compactness and also you know being um, thoughtful about the car purchases that you were going to make. It's a very thoughtful car to have a Beetle at that time. Right. But then if you look at you know the commodity that it was in the late two thousand in the late two thousands you know late nineties early two thousands. It was really just, you know, repackaged and sold to us as this idea, but wasn't eco-friendly, wasn't a really cool car, Mm -hmm. you know, and I always thought that was kind of interesting to me that, you know, taking on nostalgia at that point as Gen Xers, and kind of when I was thinking about that song, that was definitely like part of the, part of the juice, Mm-hmm. It's definitely thinking about that uh, a little bit in the in the DVD commentary of Fight Club. Yeah, that's. that's... What, are you, what are your Easter eggs? Like, what do you mean? Like, do you have any Easter eggs in your jokes that come uh, from like a really specific like, place? They like, don't. They, they all the about? that pop punk bit is all of them. Like all those have stuff. I have. Uh, what is it? Uh, take off your pants, jacket. Uh, Blink One Eighty Two. Um, oh, where are all of them? <laughs> I have so many. I have, uh, like, most of it, half of it is ska, because, like, that's the punchline part, is, like, uh, all that is, um, because I go, uh, because I go, I even like ska, which is, like, uh, some, like, uh, what is it that I use? I even like ska, so, um, I, like, I use, uh, this song that's just the impression that I get. Uh, I use, um, bomb the music industry. I'm like, if you don't like this joke, we can just bomb the music industry. It'll be fine. <laughs> and then, and then the joke I have for like the punchline for that is, uh, um, people ask, I'm like, if you ask me like how many like in-depth references to Ska I have in my act, uh, less than Jake. So that's what I do. And then when I go into it, I'm like the next bit, cause I talk about being a virgin and loving to hook up with a chubby emo girl. So my, my next part I say is I would love to hook up with a chubby emo girl, uh, take off my pants and jacket and dump a little blink one eighty goo in her. She better have protection, like some simple plan B. You don't want to be an American idiot and get pregnant. Uh, I'm not okay, I promise. I wasted my time, became a casualty to society, and I'm in too deep. And I'm in too deep. So it's, uh, it's like... It just, like, it just pushes the, and it's like so weird. I came up with that. I don't know if you ever did the rat, uh, Lance Mike, but I just, I, I came up with it with that, and it was funny because like VJ came up with his own, uh, one, and uh, it was just like his was so much better, but it was just like, uh, it was great because you know that that's really what I'm always looking for. Like when my stuff is to just have those. The, as many punchlines as you can and as many, like, tags as you can is always a great thing. And to yeah. me, it's, like, I love just, like, the thing that's kind of tough now with what I've been doing is, and if I don't want to feel like it's bragging or anything, but my stuff is working really well, which has never really happened. I've never really had it where, like, I can do a set, like, each time and it does well. Now I have that with my 10 minutes. But i got to work on my next 10 minutes because... uh I've been writing since 2020, um, like I've been writing and working on like an album and special that I want to do in two years. And uh, I'm calling it uh, What the Dweck is Wrong With Me. And uh, (laughs) like, I feel like it fits my, that fits like my 
persona, whatever you want to call it. But like, no, so I think that's awesome, man. I, hey, that's such a great goal. It's like I talk about like a lot of my quirks. I talk about mental illness. It's like it's a lot of stuff. Like the one thing that's tough is I don't want to make it like a one man show thing. I want to make it like an actual comedy thing. So it's tough to fit like a narrative. Like, was it tough for you to to have any bit of narrative with your album, or was it just each song is like its own? Uh, yeah, I think that the, the the great mystery about you know why I always wanted to do the the, the you know the concept album or, or want to have it to have some kind of concept is kind of a very simple concept. I don't think that. You know, I was really going for, like, a Coheed and Cambria kind of thing where, like, this is, you know, Warhammer 40K fan fiction. Like, it's not really like that. It's really more like the first half of the album is me pronouncing and announcing an identity and mm-hmm. trying to say, like, this is who I am. This is this is right. where I come from. And this is my point of view. This is the things I see. This is how I feel. Right. And as you get further into the record, you see, like where that comes from and then the other identities I'm reaching for. You know what I mean? Right. Like that like everybody also wants to sing the country song. Everybody also wants to sing like a hardcore rap song where they like play the villain and they're robbing the bank. Like mm-hmm. everybody wants to kind of have that like experience of um you know, I think being other than themselves. Right. And to me like uh that uh was was laying out the songs in the way that I wanted them to, you know, picking songs that I thought really played into that, songs on the side that I thought didn't really play into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I think it was cool. I'm, I'm proud of it. I think that also when you... Um, I don't know. I've been writing music for a long time. And, and one of the hard parts about writing comedy songs is to not have the music be competing with the idea. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So, so you're really more supporting it. So like the clear examples of that is like the song, like, so the guitar is really intricate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a two, five progression, two, five, one progression in jazz. That is, is, you know, more or less kind of a standard progression, but the way I'm picking it is a Brazilian style, but like, it's also very, um, it's supposed to, if you think about the, the pace and the rhythm the guitar is making, it's moving fast, it's, it's moving quickly, it's moving you to the song. Whereas, like, the lyrics are very meandering, right? They're like, mm-hmm. it's unfortunate. Like, some would even say cruel. You know, like, there's so much space, you know? And, right. like, one of the things I do on my songs that I think is, you know, to my detriment is I overfill the songs with words because um, you're trying to get as many jokes as you can. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like... Uh, song like it's very open like it's very free like you can understand every single word and when you are uh you know when i'm performing the bald song i said that sometimes when i get the biggest laughs because you know people are hanging on every word right really work to your advantage whereas i think with songs like nostalgia which i think really work better on the record um it's just so much information <laughs> you know and mm-hmm. You know, it's exposition and I'm just dumping it, you know, and then you're forced to kind of catch up. Whereas I think empathy, empathy, I'm not looking for you to catch on to every line in the song. Right. Too, right? Because they're coming at you so fast. Right. That there's no way you could possibly empathize with each of these states of what I'm saying to you in the live 
right. format. So like, and when I'm playing Empathy, like I'll get a laugh here. Then I'll do another line, I'll get a last year. Like, it, it comes in different places, and then when you get to the chorus, it's, you've built it up so much that then it's like a release. And it's one of the right. few songs that I'll use, like, a real regular chorus on. If you listen to the record, there's very few songs that have a true regular chorus. Mm -hmm. And that was definitely a decision because writing comedy music... Um, I don't want to be wasting time repeating myself. Right. So a song that we have a chorus, which is Millennials, which I know is spelled wrong, but fine. Uh, Millennials is like, it should, if you look at the structure of that song, that song should definitely have a chorus, oh. right? It should definitely have a big hook beat to it. But to me, when I was writing it, I was like, well, if I'm singing a chorus, like I'm taking like two two sequences of 15 seconds out, I'm taking 30 seconds out of this song that's not funny mm, right you know so so it was like okay like let's get rid of that like let's leave that formula behind and focus on making sure that um as the as the the formula of the song even though it's um the similar melody to a chorus would be for that song it's not the same words. So, like, you're still listening to something different. Same thing with Nostalgia. Nostalgia is kind of an interesting song. Right. Because it kind of it kind of has a different format than any of them otherwise, right? It right. It kind of starts with the hook first, right? It's totally, it's totally messed up. So, playing with formula was really fun for me, and it really allows you to keep the listener of a comedy song kind of on edge. Mm -hmm. You'll see if that plays out with people on the record. <laughs> right. Um, but, but, you know, to me, it was, like, very at least for the early songs to really back away from any kind of formula or uh, time wasting structure you know the the only reason I think the I love you by has a chorus is because it works both as a comedy song and a sweet song right so if you're listening to I love you by you feel like oh this is almost like a Jack Johnson kind of vibe mm -hmm. and then it's also so, funny. so like to me like it, that gets Mm -hmm. Bodily Fluids is a song where, you know, we're definitely using a very strategic chord structure of right. uh, the um, one, two, five, right? You're, uh, yeah. One, five, one, four, two, five, um, which could be your No Woman, No Cry, all those great four chord songs. Right. Um, you know, we're just thinking into it. I'm sorry. No, it's great. It's great. I love having, I love having guests on that talk a lot. You know, that's the thing that I need. It's like, you know, I, I often complain about it. It's like, you know, not specific people, but like, if I ever have guests on, it's like, I like where I can talk to you, look at it and be like, oh, I wasn't even paying attention. We've been talking for like 20 minutes. It's like, that's what I like. It's like, you know, because sometimes you have people on, it's just their personality or how they are. They don't talk much. And it's like, the way that I had to do it, it was I had to figure out, that's a me problem. Like I have to figure out how to, accentuate someone's sense of humor like oh totally. really what they do because it's very funny like the not funny but like it's weird because like a lot of the interviews that i do with comedians are not like particularly funny like some of them are because some of the comedians are really good so it comes out but like a lot of it is just like because i like to i my main thing is i like to see where people started and you know all that so i had a couple of questions um while you're talking about that uh is um was it tough to record that without an audience to get the beats of the jokes? 
because well, it's a, always punctuated with laughter to me. So that's always a tough thing to do, I feel. Well, that's, 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 I think, what's going to be the test of time. I think if these songs are listenable by people on their own without laughs, like, that's great. If they're not and, they, and they're not as successful, you know, I'm already thinking about, you know, how the next live album could work with these songs and more. Right. You know, but to me, it's also like the idea of releasing music online you know if you had if you had told at 21 like by the time like before you're 35 mm-hmm. you're gonna have music online like i would have been blown away right, right? i would said wow it took a long time but oh that's awesome like but you know 21 year old me could not have anticipated the way the music industry was going to change so much and how streaming in uh using the real platforms the way that we are uh, is so different from the way that kind of torrents and, you know, um, music was when I was in college. You know, thinking back to those days, like, if I wanted somebody's really awesome album, like, yeah, I probably wanted it on iTunes, but I probably downloaded their whole discography in four minutes to my laptop, you know what I mean? Right. Like, it was such a different time. So to be at it, to be looking at it now, like, kind of to think about it in the way that, um, I'm trying to be adult about it. It's right. Like, this was a, a dream I had from an, a, a younger me. You no, that, that totally makes sense. Like, it's the same thing with me doing comedy. Like, I've been talking about it a lot because I've been so excited. Is uh, next month will be uh, 14 years that I've been doing comedy and eight years that I've been doing right. stand-up. So it's such, a, it's such a weird thing how, like, you start something at 15, 16 years old and you, you just have, like just that experience of doing it and it changing so much and, you know, all the people that I've met, been able to meet and the experience that I've been able to have. And it's just, it's really cool. Like, you know, it's my, my goal has never been to be like a super famous comedian. My goal is just like to be a working comedian, basically. Like that's one thing that like I would love to do, but it's so tough because it's very competitive and the landscape has changed so much since COVID. Like it's so funny when I, when I talk to people, I feel like I feel like such a weird person when I say like, no, we used to have audience members. We used to ambush people with these open mics and be like, now you have to do your dirty jokes in front of a seven year old with their family eating and be like, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, you know, and then performing in front of other comedians is tough. But the way that I sort of fixed that was I have a lot of people I look up to and that I'm friends with that are way better comics than me, I think. So, like, I always try and make them laugh. And I'm like, that's when I know my jokes are good. It's like, if I can pop, like, my best friends or people that I will look up to, it's like, that's how it works. I wanted to ask you, when you start doing comedy and your music, like, live and performing, was it... Did it take some getting used to to have the laughter in with what you were doing, or was it always... Or was there always humorous, like, beats to your stuff? so it was so it's gonna sound so strategic like it's so bad but like the reality was Shayna found a mic and was like I want you to go to this open mic and I was like okay I want to do it too but like I want to write a funny song I feel bored at these open mics when it's so dry and mm-hmm. everybody's so serious and it takes so long so I wrote kind of a funny song it's not on the record mm-hmm. uh, and I played it and it got some laughs because it was juxtaposed with people playing serious songs and reading poetry. Oh, yeah. And it felt kind of like a pop, a, a different gleam of uh, uh, of energy in the room. And it really felt good because you know, I, I, I'm definitely a, a pretty 
competent guitar player, so like right. I just had like a lead with that, and then everything kind of comes afterwards. So like I did my first couple of open mics like that, mixed mics, mm-hmm. and then I met Irv Hernandez. Irv Hernandez was my first comedy friend in Jersey City. Oh yeah, and, he's awesome. And Irv was like, "You have to come to comedy mics and try that." And I said, okay. And he's like, you have to go to Subculture in Jersey City and go there for that open mic. So I said, okay. And I went there. And I had no idea what the light meant. And I thought it meant one more song. And I ended up playing an entirely different song. Uh, Mark Henley was very nice to me about it. Yeah. I I was so mad that I couldn't ever go to that mic. It seemed like a great one. I never got to go to that. But um, it was actually actually really hard. Because Mm -hmm. it was, if you think about the timing of it, and I think mics are also timing... Like, is also a big... Yeah. ...much fucking alchemy that goes into a good... Oh, yeah, for sure. Are you there? There's... Yeah, hello? Yeah, I can hear you still. Yeah. Hey, yeah, what made subculture so good and so hard was... It was at, like, 5.30 on a Wednesday. Uh-huh, yeah. So when, you got, so when you got there, everyone's, like, just getting done with work or just finishing out their day. So everybody's, like, in a huff to get there. Right. Uh, the food was not awesome. It was uh. okay at best. And then and then it was, like, kind of uncomfortable because we were all sitting, like, right on top of each other. So if there uh. was any patrons, they would definitely leave. Right. So it was definitely my first couple experiences going there of playing my songs without any laughs after like going to a couple of other open mics and getting laughs there was like a really big eye-opening experience mm-hmm. for me and being like, oh, this is a totally different way of going about practicing performing than it is music. Yeah. And uh, that really helped me to then do something different, which was to go to open mics in Jersey City at that time strategically go to different ones on different weeks at different times to really try to maximize the laughs I was getting mm-hmm. because I do feel that comedy songs have a shorter half-life than jokes. Oh, and that makes sense. But don't so you feel like, 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 just from my perspective, it seems like they're easy because it's music. It's more, like, possible to, like, perform them more. Like, People like to hear the music. They like to hear that. So, like, I feel like it would be easier. With jokes, it's so harder because, like, if you, especially if you're performing in front of other comedians is, like, or, like, the same audience, really, it's tough because they'll hear all your jokes. So, like, you know, I just was curious, like, if you have that safety net with the music behind it, does that help or does it not really make a difference? No, it goes, it goes both ways, I think, actually. I think that there are times where, like, people like you will see, like, exactly what you just said, like, because it's music, it seems easier, and, like, that there's definitely truth to that, right? And there's definitely something to be said about, like, the people who are comics and they want to do the guitar song, right? Right. It's a very strong thing for people to do. Um, and I think it's a, and listen, it's a totally awesome tactic. Uh, what I think I'm doing and, like, what I always try to, like, do, I People kind of tolerated me and accepted me was I was always doing something a little bit different. So even though it is, you know, um, you know, you could look at hipsters and you could be like, or millennials or whatever I called on the record, you'd be like, all right, dude, like it's a it's a three quarter in three quarter time like thought you're not breaking, you know, the sound barrier. Right. 
characters that I wrote into that song to be like, this is why it's important to me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think when I started playing at comedy open mics, and I was like, I'm working shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to be working in a strategic way of playing to people. Mm-hmm. So when I first kind of started in Jersey City, I was doing this weed song I had written about um, like drug dealers, right? right. Because I, I do think that there, you know, there's a lot of comedy there, but I also like as a pothead my whole life, like I've right. been waiting on pot dealers, right? And right. It's complicated. So I had a song about, you know, that's now kind of outdated because of all the dispensaries. Right. About, like waiting for the pot guy. Yeah. And I loved doing that song. And it was very fun to do that song as an opener because it's fast, it's only a minute long. And then it really ingratiates me to the audience. They know exactly my point of view. Right. And then, like, we can do something from there. Then I would do usually, like, a shorter song, or I try to do a shorter song. And then I would sometimes try to do a longer song. Mm-hmm. Right. I would try to end with Bald or end with one of these other songs. And what happens is, is people reset their attention span so i found i was having a harder time with that so really what i've been doing really for the past i would say a year is really focusing on two different types of long concept songs right Mm -hmm. or songs that like i'll say like i want to write a song about ai right and i'll be like okay i should be writing a song about ai right and then i'll go off and think about that and like maybe i'll even like sit down and like force myself to write a song about ai right Right. But there are also things where, um, like when I was doing, you know, when I was in my house and I was like, I was playing, you know, uh, this descending or this descending uh, pattern of notes that came catch up. I was like, oh, this is cool. Right. And I was just like, what if it was so inane and so like opposite of what I'm always talking about? And then I would, I would say like my first real comedy song. Right. Because it's structured in a way that is not like a regular song it's it's about getting left right so it's four different verses um the first verse is about ketchup the second verse is about pickles it has a dick joke in it the third verse has a big uh misdirect in the chocolate line right. and then really i'm you know and, and i will say i have a hard time ending songs you know like if you listen to a lot of the songs like i'm always trying to put people back down on the ground right it's very hard that makes for sense yeah to end songs in big explosions especially when you're doing them live because then you've already exploded right <laughs> and i have to play another song yeah <laughs> i i guess i that it sort of makes sense that totally makes sense of every time i've sort of seen you perform is that tempo it's like you know, and it's never like, it doesn't kill the moment. It always brings people, that's like a great wording. That's exactly what it is. You like bring people down, but it's like, it's like down to like, just where they were. It's not like you're bringing them down to like, down, down world. You're not paying attention. It's like, no, you like bring them stationary. Just because I'm playing guitar and singing doesn't mean I get to totally respect that. So like, I'm playing, especially at a show, it's very important for me. And like, I had to learn how to do this. To not get off stage like a rock star. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> when you grow up and you're playing in cover bands and you play in high school or whatever, your whole dream is that when you're getting off stage, like, you are the coolest, you just did your whole cool shit, right. you're the fucking man, and, like, you're going to say goodbye and hello and goodnight. Mm-hmm. It'd be awesome. We're in a comedy show. You have to keep the momentum flowing. Yeah. You can't stand up there and thank everybody and do this whole thing. You have to just get the fuck off. Yeah. So learning how to end 
was very hard. The couple of songs that I do think have good ending, you know, I would say punchlines, um, you know, it, it's, those are fun to do, <laughs> but you have to, I have to structure my stuff around it right. and, 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 uh, can't be just, you know, willy nilly, um, throwing them around. So like, like I was saying, I'll have structured concept songs and then I'll have, I would say social media songs, which are going to be anywhere between 15 seconds and a minute. And, it, you know, sometimes it isn't even a full song, right? Sometimes right. we are just doing, you know, um, you know, a couple of bars, of a, a couple of lines. Sometimes we're writing, uh, you know, and when I say we, I, a lot of the music and lyrics are Pastor Reina, my wife. So oh. I kind of credit her with a lot of the writing. You know, I definitely think that I've gotten invited to do a uh, filthy song competition in Jersey City. And I was walking around my house and came up with the original first line of bodily fluids, which was there's come... Like, you know, there's come on everyone. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was so, so funny. But yeah. Shana was like, you, you cannot sing that at a, at a show. And I was like, okay. And she was like, why not? It's like, it's too overtly sexual. I'm not there. Like, it's not about, you know, you, you're crossing a sexual line of, uh, for me. And I was like, okay. And then, you know, I was kind of thinking about it and playing around with it. And I ended up doing um, the Money in the Bag song, which was on this record mm -hmm. at the Filthy Song Competition, which I didn't win. Melissa Siraj won. I believe she also won, I think, uh, this year, too. Um, and uh, ultimately, a couple of weeks after the show, we were walking around and kind of singing the There's Come part. Mm -hmm. And we were like, what if it was about other, what if it, instead of it being sexual, it was gross? Mm -hmm. And it became, instead of, like, being a sexy song, being, like, a gross-out song. Right. And she literally, we sent put out all the different bodily function fluids that we thought were disgusting. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and incorporated them into the music. So, you know, it's definitely it's definitely a shared process. That's why I do totally credit her. Right. And, you know, you gotta, you gotta see what you can do. You know, one of the things I really didn't want to get into when I started this was being parodies. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. To me... It felt way too easy, and it felt like something that I would get so tired and bored of because of the repetition. And uh, you know, it was like, oh, what if I get locked into this, and everyone's just going to be comparing to Weird Al all the time? Right. So it's like, yeah. it's like, okay, what do I want to do? And I definitely think that like for social media, parodies work really, really well. So for me, like, it was a matter of like, I did the only because I was in Florida and I was walking around and like, I was literally singing to myself. I was like, Chinese spy, Chinese spy balloon in the sky. <laughs> and I was like, that's going to be black balloon by the Goo Goo Dolls. It could be so funny. Right. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do that one. And then that kind of opened me up. And then when I saw the smoke, um, you know, I didn't know what to do and I didn't want to do, um, uh, what was the other? There's like another famous like smoke song. Um, I wanted to do smoke on the water. Oh so like, yeah. I'll do something quick. I'll do something quick like that. Like to me, that's like almost throwaway. Like I don't think people anticipate me to do that. The only one that that's like really kind of, I think, really hits a strikes a chord and is fun to play live is I play like a version of the Corn Kid song. From oh yeah. So, like, the kid, he's, you know, they, there was a very popular viral video that came out after yeah. where they made it into a song. 
I kind of took that song and then did it on guitar myself. Right. And then when I perform it, I like kind of do a call and response waiting for people to say the, uh, you know, it has the juice. And like, yeah. I'm always waiting for people to like respond and sometimes people don't. And either way, that really kind of gets a laugh. Right. Um, I, I have ownership over it because I've kind of taken it and done my own thing with it. Um, but I, I don't know about because I don't know about the legal reasons about that. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. I mean... So, yeah, I really do like... I like performing that one, you know, because it's... Uh, I also wanted to do... Um, I wanted to do, like, the Soldiers song. I wanted to do, like, Friends and Jingles. Jingles are very... Ads and jingles are very uh, inspiring to me. Right. Because it's music that's very short and used for such a specific thing. Like... There's one song that I really love that I thought people would like more on my Instagram, but it didn't turn out. So I kind of and when I play it live, it doesn't. It, people just think just it's just weird. Mm-hmm. But Scott Holt, who we all love, was yeah, a yeah. New Jersey comedian. He's great. Um, I reached out to him because I wanted to do his video podcast thing and work with him, and then you know we ended up picking up. But it was it was fun while it lasted in the world of his podcasting uh, business. And uh, I wrote this song for Scott because I always felt like, as, even with the other guys that high school, like I was just never cool enough, and mm-hmm. I was always just trying to be cool. So I kind of wrote this song for Scott, thinking like he would think it was funny to be the villain at the end of the song, mm-hmm. and he really didn't. <laughs> uh. And that should have been like kind of an eye opener to me, like maybe this song isn't so funny. Right. And I put it out in the way that I had, like, recorded it, which was, like, a pop-punk version of it. Yeah. And I was like, it did okay. And then, at least it did okay on, you know, Instagram or whatever. And then when I play it live, just acoustically, <laughs> mm-hmm. it just sounds a little sad. It just sounds a little bit, uh, um, you know... A little bit too, it's just a little bit too awkward. Oh, I can, I can probably relate to that. I mean, my sense of humor is very hard to do now because it's self-deprecating. And a lot of comedians, like, people will say, like, oh, humor should be self-deprecating, like, whenever I talk to comedians. But from what I've realized in recent times with, you know, roast battling and how, like, shows like Wild Now, like, people are used to, like, comedians now wanting to be cool and wanting to be, like, have the last laugh and be like, you know, kind of on top. And to me, that's never been for me. I'm very, uh, very self-deprecating in my life. But the main thing that I had to do was like, you don't want to go into like, I, I never complain about cancel culture and any of that shit until people awe during my jokes. I'm like, I'm like, no, this is funny. It's not supposed to be pitiful. It's like, it's, it's, it's such a fine line for us because you're, you know, trying to bring people into our world uh, maybe this maybe it's not as much for you but it definitely is for me like a shame like it definitely i do feel a lot of shameful for how much attention i am seeking oh yeah for sure for me totally yeah i mean you know like i don't like i just i know that i don't deserve it i know it's unwarranted but i'm not gonna stop (laughs) no it's such a it's such a great um that just reminds me of a i'm a big bo burnham fan he has that great song, Art is Dead. But, like, it's it's so great is, uh, you know, I, I was thinking of when you mentioned, like, performing and doing comedy with your stuff. I only did one comedy song once uh, was um, when I was in high school. Uh, I sang, 
and I was not a great singer. I was okay. I was like a decent tenor. But the thing that I always hated was that they wanted me, when I switched schools, they wanted me to um, do a lot of like higher range stuff. So like uh, Jersey Boy type of songs, which I like, but it's tough to sing because it's Stranger Voice. So at one of like the like um, talent shows, we uh, I did um, Adam Sandler's uh, Redhead Sweatshirt, which is like the same kind of style where his voice goes very high, and that worked really well. But that was, like, my main thing. And I, I had one other thing uh, that never really worked when I was starting out. Uh, I have this joke uh, where you can sing every Nickelback song in under a minute. So, like, I did that because they just flow into it. It's, like, all of them, it's, like, you know... It just all of them flow together, so it works in, like, a way. But my voice can never sound that great with it, and it was just, like, that doesn't work. <laughs> but it was a good concept. I was like, oh, that's, that was No, fun. that's a great one. You know, I think it's good. I think people should be... I think it's so important to change the vibe of a show. So oh, yeah. I always, I always feel like, you know, you know that, that's, like, the little niche I've carved out for myself. You right. Know, I don't... I don't worry about it. I don't think any of these songs are going to go terribly viral. I don't think any of my stuff is ever going to really, really explode. But it would be so nice to be able to play in front of a small theater one day. Right. People who just wanted to, like, hear my music for, like, a Yeah. Minute. And, like, that would be that would be really, really sweet. And yeah. I definitely think I can get there. I mean, and, I think so, too. I mean, your stuff is so great because it is distinctive. Like, I think that would be one of the hardest problems with like how musical comedy is, it can be very tough to get a distinction. Like, I know so many like people that I've seen on TikTok that are like comedians at comedy clubs, like with a guitar, and they all sound the same to me. But like, whenever I see you or Angela, it's like you guys just you have a specific like thing. And I think for you, what what changes it is you take the music really seriously. So. There is that, I have that admiration for that because I'm like, well, he's putting a totally different thing into it. I was like, I was really impressed when I first talked to you about it. I was like, went up to you and I was like, oh, he's a live musician. That's awesome. <laughs> no, no, it, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Because uh, we have a, there's a musical comedian in our scene who, uh, he's an okay guy. Like, he's terrible at jokes, but like, he just does funny songs and he's very popular, but uh, it's just tough like to really, for people to get on board with that because like he's not respected by a lot of standups. So it's tough. It's like, you know, well, to have- I, I th- yeah, well, let's, I mean, I just want to say real quick that she did bring her up and I, and, and I will go back and listen to her podcast once it's up. I, I haven't listened to it yet if it is, but yeah. I after this, uh, I love Angela. Oh, yeah, she's uh, fantastic. She's a, she's a major inspiration for me. And when I started, she could have been, she had every right to not want anything to do with me. But she was always nice to me and allowed me to, you know, play on even in her shows when she was right at McGinley. Right. And I definitely appreciate that. And, like, that goes a long way for me in that, like, I definitely respected her so much and wasn't trying to step on her toes in any way. But right. definitely felt like... After I saw her, it was like when Clapton saw fucking Hendrix. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like he's like, I've been doing this shit for so long, and here's this person who's totally doing it in this amazing, totally different way than me. And like, right. 
is totally unique and different and separate to her. Right. And when I had seen her a couple of times and really listened and, and, uh, you know, I don't have a super close relationship, but, you know, uh, from what I take away from her, you know, she also puts a lot of herself into this too. And I think oh, yeah. she loves the connection as much as we all do as well. And like when I see her connecting with her songs, um, she's undeniably talented and great. And, and I really do feel like grateful to her and grateful to everybody in the scene that, you know, I, we get to exist together. Like we have right. the same initials, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like we're very, we're very similar. We're very, you know, I was living in Jersey city when she, when she was really doing very well over there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think in the other musical comedians that are around, at least in New Jersey, you know, I, I think Vin is a super awesome dude. Oh yeah. Vin is awesome. He's, he's met, great. I've had him on the podcast a bunch. He's just, he's a fantastic dude. And he's the same way of like, he just has so many multifaceted, like, stuff that he does. Really. Just, yeah, he's such a really creative guy. And, uh, you know, when I say to him, like, every time one of his new videos comes out, is like, dude, these videos look absolutely incredible. They're so funny. Like, he's just doing them on, like, a really high level. And I appreciate his, you know, approach. I listen to his music. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's very cool. I also kind of respect that he's the lead singer and runner of his band. Now that I'm also in a band, like, I'm just the right. guitar player for hire. I kind of feel like a Mandalorian a lot of the times. But, you know, uh, this guy, like, he's running the show and doing the music and doing the comedy. Like, he's a super talented guy. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that it, musical comedy is really, really tough. And I think that we are in a very saturated comedy market here in New Jersey. Oh, yeah. I, I will say that, like, uh, you know, I heard Taylor's album. It really took me back, man. Mm-hmm. I was very much... Um, I had performed with Taylor at a show uh, a couple of years ago at Absalom, um, which is a, an okay place. Yeah. And I didn't really get to hang out at all. I was there with Steve Coast. Uh, I didn't really play well either. I was trying to... One of the things that I always did like with the show is try to bring out other stuff, try to bring out other instruments, get overly complicated, and fuck it all up. When like really, I need to do just play the guitar and sing. Um, and Taylor did not do that. Taylor mm. played guitar and sang, and it'd be great. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, um, listening to Taylor's record, it was so well done and well produced, and the sound was so great that it made me feel, um, you know. Expect for how hard he had worked on you, and it definitely kicked my ass to say like, mm. okay, like I have to go finish mine right now, <laughs> like right now. And uh, you know, he is a great, he's a great dude. We've only had cool interaction. Yeah. I think it's tough. I think it's oh, I think it's tough for anybody because you know we are different. We are you know changing up the 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 scene. Also, you know, something that's different about me and Taylor is kind of our subject matter. You know, I think that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at kind of what every about, I think it's like we all have very defined spaces. Yeah, like all three of you have really, like the thing to me that I always ask people when they start out, because like it was a thing I dealt with was like socially, because socially I felt like I got along with a lot of people, but I was, I was young when I started. I was like 21, like 21 and a half, because I was 22 when I was like into doing it. And it was tough because, like, I would, 
I feel like I would put my foot in my mouth so many times and then I'd apologize and people would be like, oh, don't worry about that. And it'd be like, you know, socially it's very like, it was very weird because I felt like when I joined doing stand-up, it was like, oh, I met my people. But you could still have those moments. Do you feel like you were accepted and you got along with like other comics right away or was there a stigma to having your guitar with you? No, for sure. Um, I feel very lucky that I started comedy when I was an older person. I started comedy at like 30. Mm -hmm. So when I was getting into it, my brain had matured. Right. You know, my, my friends had kind of all moved up and grown up, grown out. So I was living in Jersey city and were living in Queens and Brooklyn. So like becoming to see them was, you know, not necessarily impossible, but it wasn't as easy as it was when I lived, you know, in Astoria and we could take, you know, a 10 minute walk and meet at a bar. Like it just was a very different vibe. So I was looking for ways to make new friends. Right. And then also going into it, knowing that like when I had done music open mics, that people are flighty and different. And like, mm -hmm. it's a very hot. I'll tell you the story. This is the first time I ever like did stand up like without a guitar. I told this story. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to like make it was very hard for me to make new friends. So one of the first guys who I met at a mic was a guy who was a guitar players are always loving, you know, to meet a drummer because we find a bass player later. But like, if you find a drummer, man, you're stuck. You got it. Mm -hmm. So cool, man. Like, what's your deal? He's like, Hey man, like, you know, I work at a funeral home. And cool. Like, you know, it's a, there's there that's fine like i'll and we'll jam and it'll be no big deal like we can be loud because nobody's gonna be there it's nighttime and he lives 10 minutes away from my house in what, what could go wrong right so i get there i have my guitar um you know and then you know he walks me in and i'm like oh this is like a fully functioning funeral and i'm like okay that's interesting <laughs> and we walk in and his drum kit is set up in like the back parlor and there's a fucking dead guy on a ground. Oh. And I'm like, holy shit. So I figure out how to react or whatever. Is like you gotta understand, like my regular job, I do medical equipment sales and I travel around. Right? That, oh. That's my full gig. That's what allows me to do this. One time you know, I, I go and I do in service calls, which means I go and stand in the while a procedure is being done when they're using my product to make sure everyone's like, you know, has any questions I can help out or whatever. Mm -hmm. and I was watching a case being done and the doctor, the guy on the, uh, the guy on the table, his name is Abe, uh, Abe uh, Furman, right? Mm -hmm. He's on the table and the doctor goes to him. He's like, hey, you know, Abe, hope you're doing well. We just cleaned up the blood clots on the right side of your leg. We're going to go on the left side of your leg. Hey, how you feeling? You're doing okay? And when they do these procedures, they don't put you all the way out anymore because they want to be able to ask you questions in case there's anything really crazy. Right, that makes sense. Really, they have to take the catheter right out and like run you directly to the hospital because you could like totally bleed out. Mm -hmm. But this guy in like the sweetest little voice, he goes to the doctor. He's like, he's like, doctor. And he's like, yeah, hey, what is it? He's like, please help me. Help me, doc. And he's like, what? Anything you want to? And, hey, what do you need? And he's like, my dick. My dick hasn't worked in 20 years. Can you please help me? Fucking urban aid and can't get a fucking firm one over here. So, <laughs> like, I've seen some wild shit. You know? Yeah. Like, it didn't really, so it didn't really phase me when I saw the dead guy. Right. And I was like, okay, like, let's see what his reaction is. He's like, hey, man, like, this is set up for tomorrow. Like, I hope it doesn't freak you out. And I was like, okay, man, like, that's okay. And, like, you know, it's just different for me. You know, I've never played in front of a dead guy. So then ultimately, like, 
ACDC, Metallica, like all this crazy music and stuff. Right. And, you know, we're jamming around and having a good time. And we're, we're playing. And then all of a sudden, like, I feel this, like, presence, like, standing right behind me. And it's this dude with, like, gauges and, like, a punk rocker haircut who's, like, standing directly behind me. And he, like, just starts yelling at this drummer guy. Oh. Oh yeah, it attracts. Yeah, and there's so many people like uh, Angela who hosts a lot of mics that I'm friends with. That's you know started a lot of the comedy that I do. Uh, He like has a great joke about how like there are comedians who like they won't get like canceled on stage, but they can get canceled just for being themselves. Of like you know, (laughs) you'll just be like, oh, that person is just like nuts and it's like i've had so many i was talking about on my last episode with uh, dan gaglardy i was like you know i've had so many moments where i've had like breakdowns and stuff and it's like it's like you know it's always funny i'm like if i was an alcoholic it would be better excuses <laughs> to, to act the way that i do sometimes what's no it's also over being this way <laughs> but it's like the cool thing with comedians is everyone gets it. Everyone gets that we're kind of broken a little bit. Everyone kind of understands when you yeah. do comedy, and I think when you do anything, when you do any endeavor, comedy, music, anything, you have some type of inner turmoil that makes you do it. That makes you, yeah. that drives you to do it. Like, even if it's just, like, not something major, it's just, you, you mentioned that. Like, you want to perform, and you need that attention. That is something, you know? It's, no, it, it totally is. It, I'm definitely on that. I'm definitely in the, the Mark Marin side of right. the world. Right. It always reminds me of, uh, there's a very funny story of um, uh, Jerry Seinfeld never got along with Mitzi Shore, who had the comedy store. Yeah. He never got in. And uh, he was with uh, Gary Shandling in the car, and we were talking about it. And he's like, you know, he was like, you don't have to be sad to do comedy. You don't have to be the, the this and all that. And then <laughs> Gary Shandling says to him, I hear rage. And it's like... <laughs> <laughs> it's just like yeah it's perfect like you know i always I feel love, i love that i love that episode with jerry on mark Marin. like that was like huge like, yeah i'm such a big mark Marin fan i've been yeah him. so he, like, i'm so oh that's so great i never got to see him live i'm such a huge fan of him oh my, it's so funny like like people always say like to me, like, one of my compliments that I always get, which I like, is, like, people say, like, oh, I'm so unique, and there's no other comedian like me. I'm like, I'm just doing Mark Maron. <laughs> That's all that is. I just do, like, Mark Maron and, like, all these different comedians that are, like, I'm similar to. It's just I've watched too much comedy, so, like, it's tough not to get a voice from that, that you're similar to. I want such comedy. Oh, really? Everybody on The Daily Show. Uh... You know, really, um, uh, big people from, you know, around, you know, we saw Gary Goldman a whole bunch, we saw... Oh, yeah, I, I met, uh, Gary Goldman, and, like, 
it's so nice. Like he's been nice to me on, he's like talked to me on Twitter. It's so cool. Like when I saw him, it was really tough because he was working on his, uh, his recent special and the audience, like there was a couple of like, tables in the audience that were not great. And he still like, he did well, but it was like, I was really annoyed that night by it, just how the audience was with those two tables. And I was just like, but when I met him, he was super sweet and just like, you know, it's, it's just cool when you see people, like I've never really had a bad experience with comedians, like everyone that I've sort of met, like, uh, uh, one of my, one of my uh, friends, I don't know if you know Elzar, but he was, he was doing, uh, he was involved with Bam Margera when he was in his whole doing comedy thing. And it was, it was hectic because it was him and Ari Lang was with us and Ari Lang was not in a good place. And I never tried to bother him at all. Like I never really interacted with him, but I was like always like five feet away from him when he was really at his, at his, like not good. And it was, but it was like, it was a weird thing. Cause like, I didn't really know how to be around, but he wasn't like a dick to me. So I was like, that's good. But, um, it was just like every time that I've really been around, like established comedians, like the cool thing about doing this podcast is great. Is like everyone that I've had on has been like, they see me as a comedian, which is great. Like they, they see it because they know at our level, like they've been through it. They've been through all the shit we've been through where you're starting out and it's tough and it's like, you know, but I, I've always had a great experience. So like, to me, that's always you're also great. A very, you're also a very good comic, Rich. Oh, you're, thank you so much. You're very funny. So like, I think it goes a long way that like, you know, your comedy, you know, brings people in and it disarms people. Really, it does. Oh yeah. Well, that's, that's an interesting thing that you say about because like that was mainly how comedy really started for me. I told this story all the time on the podcast not really a story but like I was picked on pretty much my whole entire life childhood like I had good friends but like for the most part I was very much like I always felt like you know how memes are very popular I always felt like this meme like people just I was very quirky and I always felt like it was I, it was never on purpose like a lot of people like my brother I always envy people who are like I'm me and I don't care who judges me I'm always like I don't like being this weird guy <laughs> I know this is weird I know this is like, you know, odd to be as a person. So to me, when I started to be funny was when I was like 14, 15 was when like, I got a little bit more of an attitude. I got a little bit more snarky and I would like fight back verbally with my bullies and I wouldn't get in trouble with my teachers because I'd make my teachers laugh with whatever I was saying. Right, right, right. Like I called them dumb in some way. <laughs> and they'd be like, like an English teacher would like be like impressed with like whatever word I used. Did you do comedy in high school? I no, um, well, kind of. I did uh, after when I was doing music, uh, I did um, I did improv for seven years. So I started doing improv uh, in uh, two thousand nine. So I did that, and it was cool because uh, it was kind of popular with. Um, it was called, uh, the, the troupe was called, um, uh, what's it, uh, Improv Jam. And the teacher was very popular. He used to be my middle school, like, he, t he taught, like, drama in middle school for me. And uh, he, he was just well-known with people. My sister is, like, four years older than me. He was known with that group of people that did improv. And I never watched, like, you know, 
I never watched it growing up. I didn't really watch like whose line is this anyway that much. But um, when I started doing it, it was just like, my thing with it was there was no stand up in my area. It was like, like uh, the stress factory was far. So it was like, okay, I can't do that. And plus I was 15. There's no way of getting into like a comedy club anyway at that age. So a lot of people that I liked, uh, that I love, did improv like Pete Holmes and uh, John Mulaney and stuff. So I was like, well, if I can, you know, follow in that vein and do it. And I thought I would just do it for like a month and then figure out like what I was going to do. And then I ended up doing it for many years. And it just, it just happened in like 2014. Angelo started everything in the like Jersey Shore area and like all that. And I was just able to join in a year later and be like, okay, I'm doing this now. And I always wanted to do it. That's so cool. So it was my, it was a, it was a funny thing. Cause like my, it was such built up for me, like pent up that I wanted to do it for so long and wasn't able to do stand up. So, uh, the cool thing was my last like couple of years of doing it. Um, it was, uh, um, at, at this place called where music lives in, uh, in Sanatbury. And, um, it was this like rock hall of fame that we had our improv show on and we would have comedians like open for us. Cause we had like, so cool. we had like two teams. We had like the, not like teams, but we had like two groups. Like we were, I was always on the B team of comedians that were like, you know, newer people, not that but younger people. And then they have like an older crowd that were always just amazing. They do so many like great physical stuff. They'd be like, they'd be able to do like really complicated stuff. Like, like sit on each other's like shoulders and stuff and like do like stuff and it's just like but and I always like that was my like thing my dream was like to be a part of that group but like I knew it would never sure. happen but uh we heard started having comedians there and it was like that was where I met Mark Henley and you know it was like you know so my so he uh my improv teacher he was like uh you want to do it right so he's like you can open and I did it twice and I was terrible but the way that I sort of, the way that I explained my first time of like bombing and not doing well was like, I could have fallen off the stage. I would have gotten up like two seconds later and been so amped and been like, this is awesome. Because <laughs> I was just so happy to be doing it. And then, and then moving into it was just tough because it was like, now I'm on my own. I had the safety net of performing with other people and being like, I could never do like characters or voices. So like, my main thing was that I was always proud of was that I could, I could at least survive. Like I wasn't up there just like floundering. It was like, okay, I can, I can handle it. So it's funny now whenever like, you know, a comedian or someone like, even if there's a musical comic, they'll ask for a suggestion. I'm super fast at coming up with something. <laughs> Cause it's just like my improv brain is just like, oh, right away. I think of something for them to talk about and <laughs> be like, but no, for sure. It's that's a, that's a cool. It, you know, that's such a different muscle. Yeah, and it's it's such a weird thing. Like the the one thing that I credit a lot to, um, and I don't know if you had this with like Angela and other people, is like I've been very lucky to my comedy uh, friend group always kind of like switches a lot, which isn't really. Like, I wish I was friends with some more people, like, that I used to be closer with, because then i get booked on more shows. But uh, the cool thing is getting to be friends with so many different comics. Like, once you travel, I don't drive, so when you travel with 
different comedians, you sort of learn and adapt to their style and they can sort of, it, it blends off of you. Like it blends right. into you. Like uh, when I traveled first with John Binkhoff, he's a, he's a great like Mitch Hedberg style, like one-liner comic. So I learned how to write that style. And then Eric Hallbach, who's now in Texas, like he's very blue and that was like a style to learn how to do. And that's how a lot of my recent stuff really came. I went to Texas for like three days, two years ago. And that was like a cool writing experiment with him. And then uh, when I moved in with VJ, VJ is like incredibly dark, but incredibly like his jokes aren't hacky. Like they're blue and they're dark, but they're not like, they're not hacky at all. They're very smart. He's a very smart writer. So that's a tough yeah. thing to write about. So it's like, once whenever I can make him laugh, I'm like always so I'm always so happy. I'm like I'm like yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> I'm like this is just great. But like to learn those different styles, because to me I just like to be able to do a whole lot of different stuff. Like I want to be able to go up there and just do, like, you know, do a couple one-liners, do stuff. But like the only thing I can't do really well is stories. Like that's the only thing that I haven't been able to do is, like, really get down, like, people that are great storytellers. I just could never get into that. But I'm always pretty confident. Like, I like that I I did, uh, I learned everything myself because I kind of get this, like, fact that I can be kind of, like, I don't know, dismissive or mean towards people that did comedy classes because I'm always, like, with stand-up, I don't feel like you can really be taught to do stand-up it's a learning experience all on its own of what you learn to do and you can probably attest to that where you you fully like you had your music thing but you probably had once you got into doing comedy you picked up a lot of skills and yeah that's just a totally different muscle you know like yeah playing guitar in front of a crowd like let's say even like a coffee shop yeah you're playing a coffee shop and, you know, people are there and they're drinking coffee and yeah. they're reading the paper and they're on their phone or they're on the computer. They're listening to their own music, like when the owner's there, like when the owner's not there or it's, you know, whatever it is, you know, you are there to be, you know, you are there to be heard, but not listened to. You are there right. to be part of the experience of somebody being there in a coffee shop. Right. right? When I play an open mic in a coffee shop, I'm literally getting the crowd to be so quiet right before I say I don't like ketchup because I've like exaggerated the intro and like right. figured out exactly how to do that. Like it's such a different thing. It's a control mm-hmm. too, like to get like super, you know, uh, psychological about it. Like it's like um, it's not. It's it's a control. It's a connection. Like you can say it's a connection, but it's also control. Like it's like when you when I'm performing at that exact moment one of the comedy songs and somebody laughs like Mm -hmm. i've bypassed like their frontal lobe central nervous system of them figuring out like what i'm saying and like i got right to some memory in their brain that made them laugh like right so like that direct connection over a line is like what i'm all about right i'm very okay like even when i was you know when we were playing and i still feel this way in a lot of ways like even if it was just ever getting to do a couple of open mics, you know, a month, like, I don't really, that's like kind of it. Like, if I'm connecting with even a couple people on that level, like, it just it feels so good and it really does help me like, to relax. And like, even if I'm taking it as seriously as I'm taking it, like, it's not on you. Like, I'm not 
Like how seriously I take it, if you, Richard Dweck, like you don't have to take it as seriously. I you just close the song. Right. Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, just this is like a two-parter kind of. Yeah. Who were the like you've mentioned a bunch of musicians, so I feel like your musical taste is very varied, like mine. Like, uh, who are your sort of influences? I guess for because uh, I guess the one like. I've been listening to them a whole lot, and I kind of get, like, a similar thing with them to you. Is, uh, do you ever listen to uh, the Bare Naked Ladies? Uh, yes, of course. I love them, <laughs> and it's like, no. that yeah, I feel very sure. similar. I don't know if that makes sense, if that's <laughs> a right comparison or not, but I love One them. Things... No, me too. Um, to get a specific did because I actually have a on this stuff to like use if I need to um, was there's a very specific album called Another Side of Bob Dylan recorded in London in 1966 in a day by Bob mm-hmm. there was a whole bunch of like his material that he had like written and accumulated like he wanted to get out and like it's a very angry Bob because he's not in New York he's away from the label he's fighting with the label at this time right and they're like we need to turn out another record and he's like okay he goes to the studio and he literally bangs this thing out in a day. And, like, it's very loose, but it also has, like, some of these amazing songs on it. One of them is called Motorcycle Nightmare. Um, and, like, that Bob Dylan voice, like, that angry, kind of whiny, but also, you know, witty, funny voice, like, that's exactly where, like, the, the format, like, I'm kind of, which is, like, I know I'm trying to say I sound like Bob Dylan, but I don't. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I get to the comedians again is like Dave Matthews like when I was growing up oh love Dave Matthews music and punk music and hardcore like we listened to that all the time we went to Every Time I Die and Taking Back Sunday and then when we were like when, like right, right around 2005 2006 they put out a new record and they were touring and, and we got into Dave because we found out if you smoke weed and you go to the Dave concert there are also girls there oh yeah <laughs> and we were like oh cool so we started going and we would party and like really enjoy the shows and it was like a big part of my um, growing up experience. So Dave is very huge for me in terms of inspiration, definitely the number one guy. And like when you, um, you know, his style of songwriting was also very important to me. Like he's also a very non-traditional guitar player. Um, I know, you know, growing up we played in a cover band um, so he's definitely my main musical guy. In terms of comedy people, people who I studied, I would say, like, I'm encyclopedic on Seinfeld, like, mm, pretty encyclopedic. Yeah. I go on Sporkle every week or so and test if I know every episode title, and I can usually get to about 140, 150 out of 180. Oh, wow. Um, I'm really, I'm pretty good with Seinfeld. I've listened to multiple podcasts about the show. I have the DVD collection box set. I love that show. I love Larry David. Yeah. I think a great I think a great love show that Larry could David. come out that would still benefit off of this show when they're dead will be a production of making of Seinfeld show that'll be on like HBO. Oh yeah. Because them making it week to week, I would love to fucking see that show. Yeah. I'm just, uh, and I'm and so down. I watched the um, first episode a couple weeks ago uh, of uh, Seinfeld because I had never really like gone back and watched oh, it like the pi- the from the start or the first episode of season two no the pilot the pilot the main yeah, one yeah, yeah. and With- it gets a lot of fun but i liked it a lot and 
it was just sort of, it was very, uh, it was very relatable in that that is a thing that comedians do. It's like, you know, you go through your day, you go through your stuff and like you do take stuff from it. Like I'm not a very observational comic. I'm very envious of people who can do that. Like Seinfeld and John Mulaney. I'm very, I'm very envious of that because it's just boring to me to be able to do that. And I don't do topical humor at all because uh, I feel my my view on it is if it's going to be done on Facebook with comedians doing topical jokes and if they're being done by the late night hosts, I'm not going to touch it. So my humor is very weird. So I got to like, I got to find ways to explain. <laughs> I always say like I have insomnia, so I that's where I get most of my jokes. And it's like, you know, I have to explain it to normal functioning people and then. It gets right. even harder when I write my jokes when I'm high, because then they get even more, like, out of out of range. Like a, one one person that I really get like a lot of my weirder like sort of comedy taste from, I think is uh, Daniel Tosh has a similar thing where he has like, you know, he says he's like, you know, I like to do comedy where like, you know, it goes down to one person just understanding the reference. <laughs> and everyone else doesn't get it. It's like to me, I'm always like, I have this weird just the stuff that I want to do. And a lot of what I've been doing is like, I was not a gross out humor like type of person really. And I don't really like, that's not the comedy that I like, but I do that now. And it is a, it is an odd thing to like, be like, okay, this is what I'm good at. Cause that's the thing that's tough. And I think you probably have this with music or any type of performing is you have to find out what you like and what makes you, uh, what yeah. you enjoy. And then you have to transfer that to, to what you're doing. Cause I think so many comedians, they start out, they want to make, they just want to make people laugh. Like there's not really a personal like thing to it. The way that I, I always say is, uh, the test of a good comedian is someone who is not just like, uh, observational, but is introspective too. Like every comedian that I've been friends with and that I, that I'm great, that I like, they all know themselves so deeply that, once you know, like, those inner quirks and stuff, now. you like, can come up we live, so much. We live in the post-podcast, we perform in the post-podcast age, we're on one right now. Yeah. Like, we're, you're, like, we're digging into me, like, I'm not a very big person, but, like, we're digging into, like, pretty much, like, exactly, like, we're, like, the core of my personality. Is. Right, exactly. I think that the whole, the whole generation before us, like, they would get to go on late night and do panel and like get to reveal interesting things about themselves right in a non-threatening way where they didn't have to worry about getting laughed to laugh right but like that was kind of it right like yeah you know you, know, you get mark Marin is grouchy you get that mitch hedberg is high you get that, yeah you know that uh who else would be like a good example like you get paul riser is jittery right you know like you get you get right to the you get their their main takeaway right like, exactly and the toughest thing for me was... Sure, like, we know they're full fucking everything. Like, right. We know so deep into that. And the thing for me that I dealt with a lot uh, was um, I never wanted to really make it, like, a character. Anytime I ever tried to play it up, like, really who I am or these quirks about me, it's never worked. So I've always felt like whenever I'm just naturally myself without trying to make it funny or make it, like, absurd, it just, it just works better because... That's my full thing. It's like, because a lot of it is very, like, neurotic. Like, the people that I sort of, like, I would never compare myself, like, uh, 
to their talent, but like the main people that I would say who I'm most like, like if you had to put like sort of a character stamp on it is I'm, I would say like Joe List and like Mike Birbiglia are like the sure. two big like people who are sort of similar to what I do, which is very like a lot of, I'm not a shy person at all. I'm just like neurotic and just like, you know, I would use Woody Allen as an example, but he's too weird. <laughs> but it's <laughs> but it's like that's a weird thing. Like I get on stage, I I get on stage and it's just yeah. It's just it's tough because you know people you know that's one of my great things that I love. Like it's sort of the juxtaposition of like you get on stage, everyone thinks you're a nerdist, and it's like no, it's like I've been performing for so long. I just have this really bad social anxiety where it's like. I want to be here. My body doesn't want to be here. My body wants to be in my room, laying down and watching TV. It's like I do. No, I, I think that that's true. I think that I'll change. I'll change it up a little bit. Yeah. Because I think where I think where I come a little bit differently is I think like I I want to entertain. Yeah. I think that's also a, a part of it for me. Like. Yeah. I like. Do you have siblings? Um, free to laugh. I, I, I don't want people to feel like I'm picking on them. Oh. I get very nervous about, you know, trying to incorporate the crowd into my stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm also not, you know, one of the things you don't see me do is like improv musical comedy. I don't think that that's real. I think it's kind of disingenuous. Mm -hmm. Unless these guys are really doing it, you know, all for real all the time, which I don't think is really possible. Yeah. Like, just it's so much material and then if you are doing it you are doing the same thing a lot in different places in ways that you can kind of get away with it it's just not my it's just not my approach and like it's not um it's not as fun for me it's not mm -hmm. fun for me to stand up there and have to be more funny than the song i've already written oh yeah you know what i mean you know like i've already done the work you just sit there and shush for a second that's the way there I feel similar to that with uh, how popular crowd work is, like especially how much we put that on. Uh, like you see that on TikTok a whole lot now as a trend and everything. And like the thing that I think is like, no one makes this connection, but I always make it is like, we don't want hecklers, but yet people are posting crowd work clips all the time. So how are people not going to get confused that it's, an, that it's an interactive experience? They want. They go there wanting to do banter with you. Not that they're trying to heckle, but it's just like that's what it comes from. I so that's like a weird thing. In those clips, we are feeding the monster. Yeah, it's like saying like, come and look, come, see if you can do this too, it's, which is not really the case. Yeah, and like to me, I'm always like my my weird uh, my line that I have for it that's kind of like your thing is uh, if the comp if the audience was funny, they'd be up here doing it. They'd be up here performing. Like, why does the audience have to be funny? Like, that's the thing yeah. that I understand. It's like, it's like, okay. I just feel like I'm gonna play into somebody's joke, and like they're gonna say something funnier than me, and I'm gonna look stupid. Right. It's like so. Like, I, I just wait. I just try to quiet it down. Like, the few times I've ever been heckled, like, was one time like I was playing a um, one time I was playing like a guitar solo part of the Bald song mm -hmm. in a Broadway comedy club. And I was playing the notes, which it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. 
it's a, it's a musical joke. It's a very simplistic style solo. It's supposed to be funny. Right. When you play it, when you play it in a crowded room, it does. It just gets a laugh because it's funny. Uh-huh. And the guy was like, "Well, he's no slash." And like, I ended up like, like shimmying and like making like a spastic like look, and it got an even bigger laugh. So like, to me, like, I didn't want to go back at this guy and like yell at him from like a negative place. Right. Like, I had to figure out a, a, pl- a way to like increase what's already going on, you know. So it's also trying to really be. And I've talked about this with Josh Wells a couple of times. And like, oh, he's fantastic. Like, one of the things like I definitely feel is like we are like mental, like we're thought wave surfers, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like something that's so hard, especially about doing music actually, is being present as you're riding the wave. I think comedians have a better time of being present in the moment when your joke is killing because you are controlling the pace. Oh, yeah. So when you know the premise just crushed and you I'm like it's just such a diff, totally different being in a band which is just like steamrolling ahead and you can't really uh, ever um, take your mind off of the wave because there's other people on the board with you mm-hmm. so then to really so then what I'm finding is like Anytime I'm having an extra thought while I'm playing, like, I'm going to screw up. So, Mm -hmm. like, I try to be as present as I can so that I can get to the point of being like, I am performing well. This is going okay. Right. I'm happy doing this. I'm happy to be here. Because to me, my my big thing is I'm always on, like, I'm the the one main reason I don't really, like, I should interact with the audience more. But my main thing is, like, I'm just trying to kill. And the bad thing is, I have to be better. Like, like my timing is fine. It's just, like, allowing those moments of silence. Like, that's very tough for me. Because I'm like, oh, I'm going to lose the audience. <laughs> yeah, when I was in Texas, I... Yeah. When I was in Texas, I... When I was in Texas, they gave me, like, ten minutes at the first place I was at. And I did end up doing eight minutes because... I did. I was killing, and I didn't want to have a take a breather in my set and be like and lose the audience. But if right. but if I did that, I would have been able to be up there longer. But I was like, no, I need to like, and plus I was first, and there was a birthday party, so like I needed to like keep the audience up. Yeah, which is why I hate going first because like you need to set the tempo. I always say like, uh, do you watch The Office at all? Uh, no. No. Well, okay. Well, there's a running gag, and I'm like, you always feel like the assistant, like manager to the uh, to the host. <laughs> like, that's how it feels like when you're going first. So, like, I always decide, like, I like to go third or fourth. Like, that's just me once the tempo of the room gets fit and, you know, the atmosphere. I'm just like, okay, now I can, now I can change it up and do my stuff. But, um, th- I want to thank you so much for doing this. I'm... I'm really happy we did a longer episode. That's great than I usually do. That's, that's great. Uh, I'll definitely have to have you on again, for sure. Like, if you have, um, if your EP becomes more of an album or a live album and you want to, you know, promote it. And anything you need to promote, just let me know and I can put it, you know, on my social media and stuff. But uh, thank you so much for doing this. I'm really glad that we were able to uh, to do this, like, to get it, you know, 
to get it set up and everything. Thank you so much. I really do. I really do appreciate it. It was so fun to be out here, Rich. And yeah. I'll see you soon, man. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I hope you have a nice rest of your week. Take care, buddy. Thank yeah, you. You too. Bye.